has come. Amen. Maxine, where's Maxine? Is she? Has she gone out there? Has she? Okay. She was bringing the fire this morning, wasn't she, church? Eh? Praise God. It was so good. And it was good to see David tinkling on the, the new piano that we, the keyboard that we have as well. So we give God all the thanks. Amen. Lovely to see so many faces out here. And I wasn't going to do this, but good to see Dylan as well joining us all the way from Reading. He's just moved over into locally in the area. Good to see you, bro. Good to see you. But just before we come around the Lord's word, would you just bow your heads with me and let's just go to prayer. Father, we want to thank you for the awesome privilege that we have, that we can gather together as your children, Father, to worship you with no threat upon our lives. We thank you, Father, for the freedoms and the liberty that we have. And we thank you, God, that as we come into your presence, Lord, how joy just permeates the air. And so, Father, we pray that as we continue to remain in this attitude of worship, Holy Spirit, will you come and will you anoint my mouth? Will you anoint our ears and our hearts to receive all that you want to say and speak through your servant this day? Father, speak and minister to your children. Break bread among them, God, and divide it and feed them by your word and through your spirit, Lord, and let it be for your glory. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Now, before I became a Christian, I was more like the tin man from The Wizard of Oz. No heart, no emotions, just cold as ice. And like many, my world, it revolved around the empire of self, namely the world of Rana. And as long as I was okay, Nothing else or no one else really mattered. That if something happened to a friend, oh, that's a shame, but I would quickly move on. I mean, I would see friends crying over their pets that had just died. And I would be thinking, why on earth are you crying? You could just go and buy another one. <laughs> I know, heartless, right? I guess subconsciously, I picked up the message and the lie that big boys don't cry. Ever heard that before? And over time, my heart became hardened. It's like what C.S. Lewis once described and said, that if you want to preserve your heart and never have it broken again, then just put it in a box and bury it, and it will never break again. But at the same time, it will become very hardened and even calloused, and it will never feel again. And before I was a Christian, that was my heart. But thanks be to God that that is no longer the case. Hallelujah, indeed. And so that said, will you please open up and come with me to the Gospel of Matthew as we continue on in our series entitled Blessed. And we're going to read from chapter 5 and verses 1 to 12. And it reads, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, 
And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this second beatitude is possibly the best known and the most quoted of all eight beatitudes, rivaled only by blessed are the peacemakers. But that's for another week. Back to today's one. Blessed are those who mourn. Or more specifically, blessed are those who are mourning. Or to be even more exact, blessed are those who are in a state of mourning. Now, this beatitude is possibly the most jarring of them all. Because when we first read it, we have to do a double take. As in, did we just read that correctly? Because it doesn't seem to make much sense. Blessed and fortunate are those who are mourning. Congratulations and in sync are those who are in a state of mourning. Really? I mean, can you imagine standing on a street corner in, say, Gaza or Israel or Russia or the Ukraine and telling them that they are blessed because they mourn? I think you'd be shot, right? <laughs> and what makes this beatitude even more jarring is that the verb translated as mourn is the most strongest term in the Greek for grief. It is the term pentheo. And this word, it describes those who are deeply grieving the loss of a loved one. That tears are just welling up from deep within themselves where the sorrow is just piercing and is only released through an audible lament. And that's real grief, is it not? In fact, one scholar observes that pentheo doesn't have to be an open lament, but neither is it the quiet sorrow of the heart, but rather it is a passionate grief, whichever way it manifests. I think I've got some competition in the house. <laughs> now, as we saw last time, 
The qualities that Jesus calls blessed, they cannot be manufactured or produced by the flesh, no. But rather, they are the result of his kingdom breaking in and his gospel grabbing a hold of us. Amen. Our Lord never walked around Judea or Galilee looking for beatitude people to call into his kingdom. No. But rather, he first called people to himself and then as a result of their contact with him, the beatitudes began to emerge in their lives. Now you may say, but Ron, what about the account of the widow in Nain who had just lost her son and Jesus reaches out to her? And what about the account of Mary and Martha who lost their brother Lazarus and tears are streaming down their faces and the Lord reaches out to them? Yes, this is true. Our Lord does reach out and provide comfort to those who are mourning. In fact, he even enters into our grief and our mourning with us, as was the case of Mary and Martha. However, broadly speaking, our Lord never rolled into town and seeing the mourning called them to himself, but rather he rolled into town called people to himself, and as a result of them coming to him, they began to mourn. Now, that's not to say that they never rejoiced, because they did, big time. But they also began to lament and grieve very deeply. Seems a paradox, doesn't it? I mean, how can they both be true, that we rejoice and we mourn at the same time. Happy are the unhappy. Can this even be? Yeah. Question for you. Why is deep sorrow a sign that we have been grabbed by the gospel? Or to put it another way, why is grief an indicator that the kingdom of heaven has come near to someone? Well, firstly, because it flows from and it follows on from last week's beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, when we encounter the Christ in all his fullness, we are also confronted with and forced to reckon with our own sense of sinfulness and that causes us to mourn. It's not that our Lord points his finger and calls out our sin. No, we don't see him doing that anywhere in the scripture. But rather... It is in his holy presence that we sense our own sense of sinfulness and we come undone at the seams. Wasn't that the case of the prophet Isaiah when he encountered Yahweh and he says, Woe is me for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord. Isaiah 6. I remember from last week, Peter, 
who said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Luke 5, 8. Amen. Amen. Now, does the name Smith Wigglesworth mean anything to anyone? A few of you. As some of you may know, he was a plumber from the north. But after being baptized with the Holy Spirit, he became a full-time evangelist and God used him very powerfully in that he carried the very presence of God wherever he went. It was said of him that as he traveled by train, as he was accustomed to, or as he sat on a park bench, those who were sitting around him would come under conviction and some of them would weep and they would ask, what is it about you that I need to get right with a holy God? Because they came into close proximity to the Holy One carried by Wigglesworth. And Wigglesworth had the wonderful opportunity of leading them all to Jesus. Praise God. Can you imagine? How awesome would it be that as we popped into our local Tesco, or as we sat in our local Costas or Starbucks, just going about our daily business, that as people encountered us or the Christ in us, that they came under conviction. And we were able to reach out to them and share the one that we host and we carry. God, let it be. And as your people carry your presence, manifest your presence and make yourself known to a dying and a broken world. Do it all for your glory and your praise. Can you say amen? amen. You see, that's what happened to us when we beheld his glory. That when we saw the beauty of Christ in contrast to how far we have fallen from what he designed us to be, we grieve and we lament over our sins, do we not? I mean, there are times when I'm like, come on, Rana, you should be much further down the road with the sin of anger. And yet here I am getting vexed because someone just cut me up on the roundabout. <laughs> or here I am arguing with my wife again over something silly. Anyone relate? Yes. Not that you're arguing with my wife, but you're arguing with your wife. <laughs> and so our besetting sins they are always lurking behind the scenes, poised and ready to take us down and to take us out any which way that they can. It's like what the Apostle Paul said after walking with the Lord for several years, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 7, 24. And Paul here isn't having a personal crisis, but rather he knows 
that it is his fallen nature which causes him to do the things that he shouldn't while keeping him from doing the things that he should. Romans 7, 19. True. Now, just to bring some clarification here. This beatitude isn't teaching what some have called a worm theology, which says that unless you feel yourself squirming like a worm, God won't even look at you. No. I mean, Jesus never called anyone a worm. He did call some people snakes, mind the Pharisees, but never a worm. And what's more is that our Lord, he never advocates for a put-yourself-down theology. Rather, the second beatitude recognizes that in the presence of the Holy One, the ugliness of our sin will be exposed. And we will see ourselves for what we truly are and we will mourn over our fallen condition. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn because it is in his mercy that our sin is exposed, allowing us the opportunity to turn from our sin and to turn to him. And Psalm 32, 1 says, Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Amen. Amen. So firstly, a sign that we have been grabbed by his gospel is that we will mourn over our own sins. Another reason that mourning is a sign of the kingdom breaking in is that we will begin to mourn over the sins of others, namely those in our county, our country, and even our world. I mean, just watch the news for long enough and you will soon come to see that our world is becoming more and more corrupt, immoral, and just plain evil. Take, for instance... Knife crime. And how it seems to be on the upward trend. It's like when Becky and I lived in Reading. Just around, there was just a number of fatal uh, stabbings that were taking place in the area that we lived. Just one literally a stone's throw away from where we lived. A young man stabbed on his doorstep. And then just around and further up the corner, there was a, a father and a son who were ambushed by a group of young men and the son ended up losing his life over a dispute over a girlfriend or something. Just shocking. And so moving to Harlow, we thought nothing like that could ever happen in civilized Harlow now. And then it seems that stabbings are just a part of the staple here as they were there, that it is everywhere, and that gives us great cause to mourn, right? Well, think about the number of people who are trapped in domestic violence. We are told that one in five adults will experience DV in a lifetime. That's one in four women and one in six to seven men. Or think about racism. That in the year 2021 slash 22, 
the Home Office recorded a total of over 109,000 cases of racially motivated hate crimes, which is an increase of 19%. Or well, think about the number of women and children who are trafficked against their will and are sold for sexual exploitation. All of this destruction to our fellow humans, it breaks our hearts, doesn't it? And all of this is a symptom of a world that doesn't know her saviour. There are billions on this planet that are going around in quiet desperation, unaware that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that is why we go out on the streets of Harlow to take the message of this gospel to those who so desperately need it. And we're going out on Tuesday. Join us. A few murmurings of an amen. Come on, church, join us. Now, if your heart was stirred as I read those stats, or if you felt a sense of injustice or even a righteous anger on behalf of those who are being used, abused, and marginalized, and if you felt your heart ache for them, then Jesus says it is because... You have caught my heart. And makarios, or blessed, are those who mourn. You see, the reason mourning is a sign of the gospel grabbing a hold of us is because the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to his heart. And we begin to feel what his heart feels for a broken world. Yes, Jesus is a man of joy. So much so that he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. But at the same time, the prophet Isaiah described him as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53, 3. Yes, he is the joyous joy giver in whose very presence is the fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 11. But there is also a brokenness in his heart over the sin, what sin has done to his creation. Amen. Matthew tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 9, 36. And the word compassion here is the term splanknitsamai from where we get the term splankna, which means guts. In other words, the Lord was deeply moved in the very pit of his stomach. Or as Johnson states, his guts were literally ripped apart inside of himself because he felt so fully immersed with us that he felt it in himself. Wow. And John tells us 
that as our Lord stood at the graveside of his friend Lazarus, Jesus wept. John 11:35, and it's the shortest verse in the Bible consisting of just two words. That he was overcome with grief that he wept. Why? Partly because he felt the grief of Mary and Martha and partly because of the pain that death brings. Because death was never meant to be. It was never a part of his plan. But due to sin came death. On Palm Sunday, Luke tells us that as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he wept over the city. Because soon they will be crushed because they did not recognize the hour of their visitation. And earlier in Luke, the Lord laments over Jerusalem, saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how I have longed to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks, and you were not willing. I tell you, you will not see me here again until you say, Baruch habab or Shem Adonai, or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke 13, 34 and 35. You see, our Lord weeping over Jerusalem, it is a picture of his heart for every town and every city and every neighborhood in our world today. And as Dane Ortland writes, it is the cumulative testimony of all four Gospels that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world around him, his deepest impulse, his natural instinct is to move towards that sin and suffering, not away from it. And when we get close to his heart, we cannot but mourn and lament because we feel what he feels. But the Lord says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When? When the kingdom comes in its fullness. And when God will wipe away every tear from our eye and they will be no more mourning, no more pain, and neither death. And what a day that will be. Amen. Amen. But while we wait for that day and for eternal comfort, we are being comforted today. Because the verb translated comfort is the Greek term parakaleia, which is a very rich word indeed. Its primary meaning is to exhort, encourage, and even embolden. And we are told that it was used of soldiers who would encourage themselves as they went in to battle. In fact, 
The word comfort in its original meaning from the French and the Latin is made up of con, meaning with, and fortis, meaning strength. Thus, comfort equates to strengthened by being with. And get this. The verb parakaleo is the noun paraclete. And the pennies should be dropping right about now, any moment now. Because paraclete is the word that is used of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16. In other words, before our tears are sovereignly and ultimately wiped away in the glory to come, the Holy Spirit, who is the embodiment of the kingdom, he comes alongside the saint and he brings comfort to those who are mourning. Hence, another name for the Spirit of God is the Comforter. You can shout it proud because that's who he is. And so, when we become aware of the depth of our sin and are overwhelmed by it, the paraclete whispers to us and says, Jesus paid it all. Your sins are forgiven and your guilt and shame has been removed as far as the east is to the west. Or when we feel despair over how corrupt and evil this world is becoming, the paraclete moves in and reminds us that the kingdom of heaven has come and is coming and nothing and no one will be able to stand in its way. That though the weeping may endure through the night, his joy comes in the morning. Psalm 35. And joy and peace and comfort and love, all of that will be our portion forever and ever. Can somebody give the Lord praise? Praise God. You see, through this beatitude, our Lord is priming us to the fact that living in this world and living in his kingdom at the same time will involve some sorrow. That before his kingdom fully comes, we will have joy, but it will be tinged with sorrow. In short, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. But his promise is that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28. Praise God. And so on a practical note, I believe that this second beatitude, it allows us the freedom and it gives us the permission to grieve and to grieve well. 
I know to say such a thing in a number of other churches would be tantamount to blasphemy because people of faith do not grieve but ought to be stoic and remain composed at all times. Who said that? Not Jesus. It's right. I mean, our Lord wept at the grave of his friend. And so a wife who loses a husband of 40 years is supposed to hold it all together? No. Grieve and grieve well. Because emotions need to be processed. And comfort isn't found in us insulating our hearts, but rather it is found in us opening our hearts to the great comforter to minister his comfort and his peace and healing. Amen. Amen. And just to say, grief, it never killed anyone, but the stuffing down of it does damage. And so Jesus gives us the freedom and the space to grieve. And one of the ways that we can serve one another during a bereavement is by looking out for one another and checking in with each other via a text message or even a phone call. Or perhaps by making a simple meal and just taking care of practical needs because people don't usually think about food when they're going through hardships. At times... It may even be appropriate to bring a few words of comfort and even to pray with those. But at other times, it may be prudent to say nothing at all, but just to sit with them and to give them the gift of presence, which is equally valid and it is powerful. It's like Job's friends, it was said of them, that they were doing so well for the first week as they sat with Job as he lamented, but then they opened their mouth and it all went wrong. (sighs) Let us be there for one another during our hard times. Let's not be stoic or to think, come on, get get a grip now. It's been a while now. Jesus would never say such a thing. But he enters in to our grief and our pain. So let's do the same with one another. As I said before, BC, before Christ, I was like the tin man. No heart, no emotions. Because I bought into the lie that said, big boys do not cry. But when Christ came into my life, that lie was crushed. Now, I'm not saying I'm a a big weeper today, (laughs) far from it, but the Lord has certainly done a work on my heart. And this became glaringly obvious during the pandemic. I mean, because of the restrictions, we weren't able to do pastoral visits in person, but could only do them over a phone. And I remember speaking to one particular saint who was battling cancer along with a whole host of other health issues at the time that she was at the end of herself. She wasn't in a good place. And so after counseling her, 
We prayed together. And as we did, I felt my voice crack. Tears are just streaming down my face and I'm blubbering through this prayer and I'm thinking this is not supposed to happen right now. But in that moment, it was as if I entered into her pain and her grief and I felt the shepherd's heart for her. And as we wept together and as we prayed with one another, deep cleansing and deep healing was coming to both of our hearts as the Spirit brought comfort. And it was another reminder to me that God had really removed that stony heart from within me and gave me a heart of flesh that now feels what he feels and has compassion on the things that he has compassion upon. And one day, all of that misery that the saints face the health scares, the relationship breakdowns, addictions, brokenness, wars, famines, diseases, all of it will one day cease and they will be no more. And there will be comfort and there will be joy and there will be peace and there will be dancing forever and ever. But until then, our Lord says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you are such an intimate and an intricate God. That you know us, Father. You knitted us together in our mother's womb, Father. And before a day was named, Lord, you knew it all together. And Father, we thank you that you know where we are, Lord God. You know the weight and the burdens that we are carrying right now. You know the valleys of darkness that some are passing through in this hour. And Father, I thank you that you have not left us as orphans on this world. But Lord, you save us. You handpick us. Lord, you fill us with your spirit. And you walk with us on the daily. That there is never a moment that we, Father, cannot call out to you, Lord, and you not hear. Because you are, your ear is always attuned to your children. And so, Father, I pray that those who may be experiencing grief, deep grief, that God, you will apply your healing balm, Lord God, upon those wounds, Lord, that they won't stuff it down, but they will process it with you, Lord Jesus, and with one another. That God, that there will be liberty, there will be freedom, there will be healing, knowing that one day, that God, you will wipe away every tear from our eye, every heartache and break, and pain. And Father, we pray that in the meantime that you will hold us, you will keep us, and continue to draw us closer to the shepherd's heart, Lord. We thank you, and we love you.
In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I know we're going to be going, coming around the table in a moment. But I also want to give you an opportunity to respond that if you need prayer, it could be for whatever it may be. It doesn't necessarily have to be the mourning of a loved one. It could be grief or mourning over something that wasn't. It could be the grief or the mourning of a job or a promotion or whatever it may be. But if you would like someone to stand with you in prayer at this time, then we're going to just, we'll be at the front here. Just make your way forward. There'll be some music being played in the background and we just want to wait on the Lord. And if you would like someone just to stand with you, then there'll be a team of people, Colin, myself, Becky, John, if we can come. and So we'll stand here if you'd like prayer for anything. Then come. You're among family. Amen. Amen. And then we'll move into a time of communion afterwards.